All right. That should be enough time to talk to people. We've got some stuff. Go ahead and word James. James, I need you up here now. Okay, so what we're going to do, James and I are going to um, kind of tag team on this. He and I have been talking about this. I was probably being close to a year now, I think. And... Um, processing some things, but this is what James does for a living, is, is some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight, uh, like um, crisis assessment, risk assessment. Is that, am I close? Is that? That's close. Okay. And, uh, and so we're, we thought, we began talking about this, just in what the church looks like, and, and how this works for us as the church. And, um, you know, if I would have brought something up like this five years ago, and I would have said, there is a possibility that the government would try to shut down the church. Oh, you'd have a few people be like, that's right, you know. And, um, and most everybody else would be saying, yeah, you know, that's not really going to happen. And then, guess what? It did. Now, now, here's the problem that different people struggle with. I'm saying church, the Christians, the church struggles with is, but that was a legitimate reason. It was a legitimate thing. It was, um, it was a pandemic. Now, I come down on the side of, I think the whole thing was a scam. I don't think, I don't think there was this pandemic. I, 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 would, I used to read this to us. Remember, two and a half years ago, I'd read the statistics that were actually happening and what the CDC was actually putting out and the NIH was actually putting out. And the numbers were very different than they were reporting on the news. Now, you can't find those. I have been to the CDC website in the last six months, probably ten times. You cannot find this stuff anymore. You, you, you can find some of the information close to this. Uh, the information is there, but it's so changed and convoluted that they make it impossible to, to separate. But what I would find is it would say, um, you know, number of reported deaths, 400,000. And then way down in a bunch of subsets, it would say number of reported deaths due to COVID alone. And it would be 10% most of the time of that number. So instead of 400,000, it'd be 40,000, 30,000, usually, usually 10% or a little bit less. And every time I check, and so I'd read that to us. Now it's very, very difficult to find. Now here's the deal with me is I believe the pandemic was a, was a, a government manipulation. I don't believe that we were uh, in, at threat at all, uh, any more than we are in, during any flu season, okay? I strongly don't believe that. Now that's my side of this. There are people that say, well, I believe strongly that COVID was very real, and those bazillions of deaths that were reported probably happened, but we just didn't get a good count, and, uh, and all of that side of it. So here's the thing with this. That still does not and will never justify shutting down a church. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's a different subject. Pandemic, health risks, all that stuff, let's try to do things, let's try to encourage people to get the vaccine. Now, now we're seeing where almost, um, well, pretty much everybody that gets the vaccine now, especially if you get the third or fourth shot, you're going to catch COVID within about three months of that time frame. It's almost a guarantee. And over 75% of all the deaths from COVID right now are vaccinated people. Okay. Now, that's a serious thing. That's a real thing. Whatever. However you perceive COVID and the pandemic and the vaccines and everything is not the subject that I'm addressing. What I'm addressing is 
The government told churches they couldn't have church. And the Constitution actually says you can't do that. And then they did it by most of the states um, because there wasn't a federal law that says you had to shut down churches. There couldn't. The CDC was making laws for the airplanes and all this other stuff, but, you, but the federal government cannot make a law. The, the Constitution says they can't. It's, it's unconstitutional to make a law against uh, free exercise of churches to meet and assemble when they want, how they want, where they want, all that stuff. Now, why is that a deal? Because um, they shut down churches. Now, you guys know around here they didn't shut our church down. Um, we did not close. We will not close. And, and, and people say I'm just being, you know, um, like just talking. You know, this is just braggadocious or whatever. I don't think that's the right term. But uh, they, will, they will have to take me to jail before we close. I, I really mean that. We actually discussed that in the board meetings before uh, they started locking down churches. We came up with a plan in the board meeting. In fact, I'll give you some of how we looked at it. Um, the board said, I said, guys, let me do this unilaterally. Let me get up and say, um, I am making a decision to keep the doors open and we will continue to have church. And they said, well, that's not right. We're all behind you. We got your back. We're going to do this. So let us say that. I said, but here's the thing. Somebody in a position of authority that can sign things and do stuff on behalf of the church needs to not be in jail and needs to be able to bail me out. And uh, so for the first six or eight months, it was, I was explaining that it was me doing this. Because why? I saw this coming. This was, this was, to me, it was very, very obvious. It did not seem cloudy and convoluted like it seemed to so many people. And to me, that made it even more difficult because I'm thinking, why can't everybody else see this? When they said this will be two or three weeks, I said, this is going to be the rest of your lives. The rest of your lives, we're going to deal with this subject at some level. Okay? This is all documented online for the reporters that are listening right now. I'm not joking about that. I had to this today, today, I had my first ever. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about it. I can't even tell you how excited I am. I had my first um, hit piece in the newspaper with my picture and everything. <laughs> not the Gazette. Uh, this is a, this is a um, liberal-leaning newspaper, online newspaper thing. I don't even want to tell you the... The uh, title, because you'll double their viewership if you go and look at it. So, but it did. My picture's there. They quoted me from a thing I spoke at Saturday um, and quoted me fairly accurately, but then just made it sound like I was an idiot. But um, I printed it out. It's on my desk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that forever. It's my first, right? I, began, I was getting to the point where I thought everybody liked me. I don't want to be there. Somebody got to not like me or I'm not doing something right. So, so with all of that, here's the things that I know that are coming, okay? The government will try to shut us down again. It is, it is a given, okay? This is important. The government is going to try to shut the churches down again. They saw how easy it was. I told you this quote before. I was sitting, Dave Reaver and I were sitting at dinner at one of the times we were at Men's Retreat, and, and we were talking about this, and he said... That Satan, um, Satan poked the underbelly of the church, and he found it to be soft. 
He's coming again. He's going to mess with the church again. And he found that he could do this all across the world. First time ever, this, this is end time stuff. I'm actually talking a little bit about this Sunday. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, this is the first time ever we've seen a worldwide collective thought process and everybody was on the same page doing the same thing. First time ever in history. You cannot say that that is not biblical, it's not eschatological, and it's not vitally important for us right now. Okay? So with that, we've been processing what, is it, what does it look like um, when the church in America gets more um, persecuted? Because it's already happening and it's coming more, okay? Um, there's, there's um, now I, I've been uh, all around the world and I've been in countries that are, I've been in China, uh, I've been in countries that are strongly communist, I've been in um, countries that are strongly Muslim, that don't allow Christianity, I've been, uh, the last few years we've been going to India, India has changed a lot in the last five years, I think it was five years ago they got a new prime minister, and he is, tr- he is trying to eradicate India of all Muslim and Christian influence, okay? Um, he, is, uh, he wants to change the name of India. He's brought it up once and he got voted down, although he's really kind of a dictator, but not really because it's still the, they still vote and stuff. But, but he brought it up that he wants to change the name of India to Hindustan. And, uh, and, and while we were there, let's see, this would have been three years ago. We've been in the COVID. So three years ago, um, they were paying, the government was paying any Muslims that switched from Islam to Hinduism, uh, 5,000 rupees, which is really not that much money. And, uh, and they were paying Christians that would switch 10,000 rupees because they felt like the Christians were a little more difficult than the Muslims, right? And uh, so, so I've been in these settings, and I know what it looks like. I know what the church looks like when it's underground. I know what it looks like when it's persecuted strongly. I know what it looks like when it's slightly persecuted. And I know how the church thinks and acts in those different settings. So that's some of the conversations that James and I have had about this. So I want to read some scripture to you real quick. Now, this is, um, this is out of Matthew 24. And I'm not, I'm not going to read a lot. I'm going to... Well... So, so verse 3, uh, it says, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So the next few verses, what question is Jesus answering? Yes, that's good. It was very good, Matthew. Matthew. Um, <laughs> But, but the sentence is, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Okay, so this is what he's answering. Now, there, you know, theologians will argue what the disciples thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. I 100% agree with that. Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. Peter thought it was going to. That's not, that has nothing to do with the answer Jesus gives. And it has nothing to do with the timeline of the answer that Jesus gives. They asked the question in limitedness of space and understanding and time. But Jesus answered it transcendently. He answers it reaching into the end times, right? And so he starts talking about things. Wars, threats of wars, all this stuff. Don't panic. The end is not coming yet. Nation against nation, kingdom against... Okay. And then in verse 9, he says, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. 
Here's, here's the reality for us right now today. America has been, had the luxury of not having to deal with that. But most and many other countries around the world since the time of Christ have dealt with that strongly uh, to the point where sometimes there's even genocide and things like that. Right? You'll be attacked because of Jesus. We even saw in the dark ages where the church was attacking followers of Jesus. What we call the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church at that time, was killing followers of Jesus. Now, some, for some people, that's hard to wrap their mind around. Well, then they're not really the church. They were the church. I, I believe the exact same way today. The biggest problem that I have had as a pastor for 30 years, specifically the last 10 to 15 years, has always been the church. And, and I'm saying specifically church leaders. I've had more pastors be dishonest about me, lie about me, do kinds of backstabbing and stuff than I've ever had from church people. And the, and the list of church people that have done that is long. I, I've had denominational leaders attack me. I've had other pastors in town attack me, all kinds of stuff. Some of the biggest, the biggest things that's gone down in the last three years is when we didn't close and we kept having churches, I was getting emails from pastors all over the country telling me how I was being disobedient to God. I was not being a good shepherd. I was putting my people in danger. God was going to judge me for this. They would use uh, Romans um, 15, 13, 14, 15 for this, and, and just attack and attack and attack, which it doesn't bother me. I mean, literally, I, Lynn and I talk about this a lot, and Mark, who works with my campaign, we talk about this a lot. And he says, this stuff really doesn't bother you. No, it doesn't bother you. Me. It doesn't bother me. Um, I said this at the, at the beginning of this whole political thing I'm doing. My biggest concern is protecting you guys. It's not, I don't, I'm not worried about me. They say whatever they want to say about me. It really doesn't bother me. I know for some people that are not my personality, that's hard for you to, to, to see and understand. It's, it kills my wife. It tears her up. It tears my daughter up. She's like wanting to throw down and go out and punch him right in the kneecaps. And, uh, it, it, these are, I mean, these are, I get that, okay? I get that. But that, this stuff doesn't bother me. That, that article they wrote about me today, I loved it. I, I literally printed it out. I think it's awesome. I'm like one of the gang, finally. So, but here's what he says. He says, you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers, because you're true followers of Jesus. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Even the whole church closing down thing. You know, some churches a year, year and a half, two years later, they still weren't open. This is my question to the pastors and the leaders of those churches. Is church really not that important? From you and for you. For us, it's vitally important. For me, it's vitally important. That's why we didn't close. Guys, I believe you need to have the, the family connection. The iron sharpens iron. You need each other as much as you need my preaching or anything else. If it was just my preaching, you could stay home and watch online. But that is a small part of the body of Christ. You interacting with each other is as vitally important as the preaching. You hanging out with each other, just going to get in a cup of coffee together. One of the things that I've seen the church transition in over the years, back in the day when I first became a, a youth pastor, it was 30, 32 years ago, uh, um, after church on Wednesday night, everybody went down to the Dairy Queen 
or, you know, the village inn or something, and everybody hung out. There'd be 20, 30 people hanging out together, and 20 or 30 over here, or people would go to each other's house and hang out. Because we don't do that as much anymore. So really, to some extent, we don't do that really at all. This is why our life groups are so vital. And, but I think even that kind of thing is important again. We've got to get to that, and we're going to explain some of this, is you need to be interacting with, with people. If you work in a certain part of town and you know somebody else in the church that works in the, that, kind of that part of town, even if you're not really, you know, really good friends with them, go to coffee with them every now and then. Just, just go. You need that. They need you. You need them. You need to get to know them better. You need to get to understand um, them better. One of the things that we've pushed around here a lot, and we're actually going to um, push this a lot more with our, our um, staff and some of our leadership, is... Uh, Younger people going to older people and just hanging out. For example, like me going and hanging out with Doug. I, I, need, I need Doug's wisdom. He's like 40 or 50 years older than me. I need, I need this. You know, I joke about this, but years ago when I first became the lead pastor of a church, I'd been a youth pastor, became lead pastor. I was 26. I was really scared. The next youngest person in our church was 48. And I'm thinking, first, why did these people vote me in? I'm, almost everyone would come and say, oh, my kids are your age, or my grandkids are your age. None of them said, hey, would you like to go to lunch? <laughs> you know, it wasn't that kind of thing. It's like, do you want a Hot Wheels? You know, that, so, um, so I... Um, so I, I, I started doing this thing where I would go down. I, there was two coffee shops in town. One was a, a, a Hispanic bakery, which this is one I preferred. And then it was just like a regular, you know, mom and pop, old-time coffee shop. Not a Starbucks. This is where you just got coffee. Like if I would have said, can I have a cappuccino, they would not have understood what I was talking about. Now this was a long time ago, 25 years ago. So, so I, um, I would go down there, and all the farmers and ranchers in that area would meet um, at this one at about 9 o'clock in the morning. They were done with the fields, whatever, they'd come rolling into town. So I'd just go sit down there and talk with them because I, I needed that. I needed to know the area. I needed to know the people. I needed to understand. And I would just sit. i just give a cup of coffee and just go sit down and, you know, their table of 10 guys. i just go sit with them. And, you know, they're all talking to each other and keep looking at me like this, you know. And, and finally, one of them said, what are you doing here? And I introduced myself. I'm the pastor of the church uptown. They said, why are you here? And I said, because you guys know all this stuff, and I don't know any of it. And they were like, all right. <laughs> Makes sense to me. We do know stuff. And, uh, and I'd also go down to the little uh, Mexican bakery because they had menudo that was amazing and homemade bread. But, um, but then all of the, um, like the construction workers and stuff would come through there for lunch. So I'd go down there for lunch. And a lot of migrant workers, a lot of that stuff, that's where we started our, our migrant church out of, actually, was that bakery. And, um, and just hang out with them. Because we must have this. You need these in your life. I need these in my life. If you're an older guy or girl here, find some younger people and just say, hey, can we have you over for lunch? Not to teach them and train them and all, just to know them. Listen to them. They listen to you. Just develop a relationship. If you're younger people in this church, like me, you find some older people and connect with them. 
talk to them. Just, just say, hey, can, can we have you over to lunch? Yes, we have 14 kids. I hope that's all right. You know, that kind of thing. But, but do this. Okay, now, he says, um, verse 13 Well, let me read verse 12 first. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay? Good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Verse 15, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. This is the uh, middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist thing. Right? This is all here. And it talks about the, the terribleness that's going to happen. If you're a pregnant woman, it's not going to be good for you during this time. When you, some, one person will be working up on the roof and they'll have to take off and flee. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on with this. And, and, I, and I do know, according to the scripture, there is a specific time frame in the future when this is going to happen. But we also see, you can use this as a nice outline for different times in different countries around the world, different seasons where it's been persecution. And you have to figure this stuff out. And that's what we're going to try to do for us um, tonight is to try to help figure some of this out. Let me read a few more scriptures. Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 1. Hello. <clears throat> he says... Uh, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And he replied, this is, this is one of those places, I'll, I'll mention this every now and then, this is one of those cool answers where Jesus basically does not answer their question. This is their question, and he answers it like this. They say, Where, where's your authority come from? And he starts telling them about the future, and they don't realize He's establishing his authority by the power and the presence of a transcendent Holy Spirit that's telling him what to say about the future. Right? I just love that kind of answer. And he does this throughout the New Testament sometimes. He doesn't answer their question because he's like, your, your question's dumb. The answer to the question is, I get my, my authority from God. That's the answer. But they, couldn't, they weren't going to be able to get that. So he replied... You know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. And by the way, this is a real thing that, that when I was in the Navy, we really used this stuff. Um, my, my second half of my Navy time frame was um, quartermaster, which is navigation in the Navy. My job was navigating the ship. I set the courses. I plotted it. Yes, we had digital sat-navs on the wall that did this stuff, you know, the original GPS long before any, any of us knew what GPS was. We had it on Navy ships. And I would set all the stuff and do all the things. But one of the jobs of the quartermaster is the weather. You're the weatherman for the ship, too. So you got to know stuff about the weather. And, and every single time we would see the sun setting a certain way and be orange, all the, all the um, quartermasters, we'd all, they would all quote this scripture not knowing it came from the Bible. Right? Red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. It actually rhymes better if you say it but the way it originally was written. But you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Next week, I'm, I'm preaching on, not, not this Sunday coming up, but the following Sunday, I want to be speaking about 
um, the Feast of Trumpets. It's coming that time of year. So I was talking to the guy at the coffee shop the other day, and we were just sitting there talking, and he said, so what are you preaching about? And I told him, I said, I'm preaching about the, the Feast of Trumpets. And he said, what's that about? I said, it's the rapture. And I explained the whole thing, and he was like, I've never heard that. I said, well, I guess you need to come to church. I said, it's one of the coolest, most exciting things in Scripture. The Bible tells us the time frame, not the day or the hour, but tells us the time frame of the rapture. Tells us basically when it's going to happen in a, in a season of time. Just like Easter, we knew when Easter was going to happen. They didn't get it until it happened. But when they did, they go, oh, that was Passover. Yeah. We knew when the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. That was the, the Feast of Pentecost, the beginning of the harvest. We didn't know it. And I believe the disciples knew that, though. I believe that Jesus told them. And I believe that they also knew they were going to speak in tongues. Because it... it it didn't seem to be uh, outside their scope. It seemed to be like they were kind of anticipating it. And part of the reason is because then Peter gets up afterwards and says, yeah, this, is, this whole speaking in tongues thing and the prophecy, you know, that was prophesied in Joel. So it didn't seem to be strange to them. So, so Jesus is cool about this. He says, you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Because we've got to be paying attention to what's going on in our country because... Things are changing quickly. And we don't have the luxury that we did 30 years ago to say, boy, our country's getting horrible. But it's not really dynamically, foundationally changing. That time has moved on. We are now in, in huge transition. I mentioned this Sunday, when, when the FBI can raid a president's home, we, we have crossed a line somewhere, a dangerous line. The, and I don't think I'm over-speaking this. You may think that. But to me, what I see when I see the head, the head people, although they did call for Merrick Garland's um, uh, resignation today, which they need to. He needs to be in jail, actually. But, but when I see the headquarters of the FBI right now, I know this is a horrible way to see it. I see Nazism. I see the black coats with the SS on them. That's what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing the day Hitler, after he got elected, when he went through and killed like 180 people in one night. That's what I'm seeing. We're in a dangerous place right now. When the FBI, who, who, who's going who's to do something about the FBI? Who arrests the FBI? Do you know actually sheriffs have the authority to do that? Just thought I'd let you know that. But the, yeah, that they won't, but... Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I'm going to give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left and went away. What does he mean, the prophet Jonah? What sign is the sign of the prophet Jonah? What did God tell Jonah? Go to the Ninevites. But, but what else? What, okay, when he, when he, go to the Ninevites and What? What was that? Tell them to repent. Not necessarily. I mean, it is about God because God's the one who's going to destroy them. But he didn't, go, he didn't say go preach to the Ninevites. Don't go tell them about me. That's not what he said. He said go tell them I'm done and I'm destroying them. That's all he said. That's the sign of the prophet Jonah. I'm about to. They're saying, how do you, how, what is your authority? I'm going to leave you with the sign of Jonah. See you later. 
That's, and they didn't get it. At that point, they should have been scared to death. They didn't get it. Okay? They did repent. That's the, that's the coolness about the story. This is the whole thing about the story that's amazing. And this is always why I use the story of Jonah. Now, I, now I'm going to say this, and I know this always makes people go, what? That can't make sense. I believe this, although I don't believe it's going to happen, but I do believe this. I believe that the book of Revelation is a warning to us that if we will repent, we don't have to go through what the book of Revelation is about. I believe we won't have to go through the tribulation. There will not be all the third of the earth died from disease or all this other stuff. Why? Because God told Jonah, go tell them I'm going to destroy them. He did not say, if they repent, I won't. He said, go tell them I'm going to destroy them. And they all said, well, this is not good. We repent. And then God said, well, then I won't destroy you. And how do we know that's how it went down? Because Jonah got his feelings hurt over it. And he said to God, I knew if I went and told them you were going to destroy them, they would repent and you wouldn't destroy them. And he's mad about this. Right? Because he got embarrassed because 120,000 people repented and that just ticked him off. I knew you weren't going to destroy them. God's saying, I think 120, it said the entire city of Nineveh. And who's Nineveh today? What I'm hearing, I don't hear. That's not Turkey. It's in Iraq. It's Mosul, outside of Mosul, and could even include part of what we would consider to be. Um, um, now my mind just. It's in Iraq. Baghdad. It's part of Baghdad. Part of Baghdad, and then going out into the desert and that kind of area. Okay. Um. So, uh, so here's, a, here's a cool thing about this. I believe that if our world would repent, I think God would just come down and set up the new heavens and new earth and everything would be good. I don't, I don't even think to base that on scripturally, except Jonah and other places like it. Do I think we're going to repent? No. Do I think we're going to get it all right? No. Are we going to go through the stuff in the book of Revelation? Yes. Okay. Um, last one. Genesis 41. Let's see where I want to hit here. Let's go to verse 29. Um, well, verse 28. This, is, this will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity through the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe, blah, 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 right? Okay, so then what did they do? Um, so uh, Pharaoh um, puts Joseph over all this and says, uh, we're going to appoint um, supervisors, do all this kind of stuff. They're going to gather food. They're going to store it up. And then... Uh, uh, years later, as they're going through this famine doing all this stuff, they had supplies of food to give, and Joseph was the guy in charge of deciding who gets the food and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, here's why I think it's important for us is because I, I do believe that the church is going to continue to be persecuted in America, and it's going to get worse and worse. 
the church around the world has been through much, much persecution, and they have grown and thrived through this. China, when, when um, communism fell in China, uh, the, all the missionaries were kicked out, church leaders and all that stuff. And, and the sad part is, is the church really had a, a much more uh, Western governing mentality of the church in China. They really didn't have a healthy indigenous, for the most part, did not have a healthy and indigenous approach to missions in China. So they literally thought the church was going to die and blow away, dry up and blow away in China when they were kicked out. But it didn't. When, when the curtain was raised, what, four dec- five decades later, China had the strongest, largest, healthiest church on the planet. And it was all underground. Went from hundreds, a few hundred thousand to multiple millions of people. All right? But here's part of the reason is they know they, they did things. They were intentional about things. So here's what I have for us is if we think that we are going to go through some persecution and the government is going to try to shut us down and, some, and do some things, what do we need to do about this? Now, when we talk about this, here's some things that I'm not doing. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to encourage you to become a prepper, okay? I don't think being a prepper is bad. If that's your thing, I don't have a problem with it at all. I, I think for preppers, just to think about this, if you say, well, I have you know, uh, six months of food stored up and all this other kind of stuff, uh, that's a very long time to hold your fort like a fortress. You're like, well, I got plenty of guns too. I get that. I'm on board with that. But I just think sometimes we put a little bit too much more emphasis on the, the natural than the supernatural. Right? How long can you really hold out? You got a bunker and all. I mean, and, I'm, and again, I'm not against those things. If, if I know you have that stuff, when my water and food runs out, I'm coming to see you. In a nice way. But most people are not going to be coming in a nice way if things get really as bad as it looks. And we've seen this over and over and over around the planet for, for centuries and centuries. Okay? So I'm not trying to convince you to be a prepper, but we are going to give you some basic prepper ideas. Okay? Um, and we're also not trying to say that um, you need to build something strategically so you can isolate yourself from everybody. It's actually the opposite. You need people, and so we're going to try to help you figure out what that looks like, right? What I am doing, helping you think about you and your future. What's going on today? What's going on tomorrow? Start thinking today about tomorrow, and by the time you get, um, you know, into something deeper, you, you already got a plan about some things. Making you think where you are, are not, I mean, where, you are, where you're not and where you are now and what is your trajectory. That's one of the biggest things. What direction are you going? I think that's important. Okay? And then help, up you step, help you step up your game now for anything that's on the horizon. So here's some priorities of planning that we're going to look at. Spiritual, relational, and physical. Okay, we've got um, the first thing I want us to do is to put up the uh, Excel spreadsheet. Do you see that in there? All right. So here's, here's some of the stuff that, um, that James and I have gone over. And so I'm going to let James walk through the three columns and explain the three columns, and then we'll kind of go down through the lists. Okay. So when we're looking at this 
it, it's mainly to get you to ask yourself questions. Um, and it goes across many things that you might run against. You know, the first question is, are you willing to lose people by discussing this? This scares a lot of people. A lot of people think, oh, my gosh, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're a prepper. But if you just look at your future, you've done this when buying a house. You've done this with friends and family. By discussing the worst-case scenario in underground church, there's no harm and no foul in discussing if things go bad, what can I do next? It gives you options. If you don't think about it until the very end, you're going to be panicking and you're going to be making mistakes. Um, the next question is, what will you do to keep oh, a 501c3? Um, when, before I get into that, you'll see the three columns, historical, home, and underground. Historical is our traditional churches in the United States. Most of the world doesn't have this luxury of being able to go to a location, come together in the open, uh, worship together, then go out to Village Inn to have some pie. So that's your historical perspective of a church in the U.S. A home church, it's still above board. Everybody knows that it's going on, and there's no harm, no foul. You just may not be going to a central location with a, a pastor as the head leader. Then you have the worst-case scenario, which is an underground. As things get worse, you'll see it from the historical, moving to a home location, and then as it even gets worse, creating an underground situation. In China, we talk a lot about China and India and these other countries like Iran. Nobody talks about how they started. They just became. But there are things that people can do ahead of time, like the seven years seven years of feast, save some for the rainy day when it becomes famine, you're more prepared to deal with the situation. So as we talk about the 501c3, there are movements within different governments, whether it's a state level Hold or... Hold on just a second. Do, do you, does anybody here not know what a 501c3 is? You need us to explain that. That's our tax-exempt status. Okay. So several churches across the U.S., they've shut down because they're, they're getting conversations about, well, you know, if, if you don't do this, you, you might lose your 501c3, and a lot of budgets are very thin to begin with. So some churches are falling in line to what the state wants. Um, but just the question, what are you personally willing to do? The 501c3 is not the end-all, be-all. It's worshiping Christ. But you have to answer that for yourself. Uh, when we're talking about what is the risk, so for a historical church, if you lost your 501 and donations go up, you can still maintain your standard church. For a home church, you really don't need it as much. Um, an underground church, you don't need it at all, but the risk of gathering together at an underground is very high. At a home, it's medium because it's still above board. So we're just looking at the ramifications of a historical at a above board home church and then a below underground church risk levels is kind of what I was aiming for for that. Um, the persecution level, it goes low, medium, high, of course. Is it legal? And that kind of goes into the darker days. Yes, a historical church, perfectly legal, constitutional, and many states still support it, but there are those that don't. When we're talking about a home church, 
there are several articles within the last five years about HOAs really um, getting down on home groups because the HOA doesn't want them there, and so they're writing the bylaws to state you can only do familial actions at that location, even dinner parties, but home churches especially, are being frowned upon through HOAs. And then you talk about an underground church, you're just going that much farther down that path. And, and something to, to think about when it comes to the legal aspect of an underground church, and this is where when we stayed open for COVID, I told you that we had a bunch of people that were contacting us, people putting on Facebook, that we were hurting people and we were being, um, we weren't being Christian because we weren't following the rules of Romans 15 that says we're supposed to obey the government. Well, read all of that scripture, not just the first part. And it says because the government is um, helping you and providing for you and all this other stuff. When those qualifiers in there don't match up, then I don't believe the first sentence applies anymore. When the government is killing Christians, I don't believe I have to obey that. When, when the government is aborting babies, I don't believe I have to obey that. And the guy that wrote this was who? Paul? Guess, guess what happened to him? He was arrested for breaking the laws of the government and beheaded for it. So you got to put some balance in there when you, when you look at that stuff. There, there may be a time when, when you do have to go underground and you will have to hide and, and deceive the government. D do we really think Jesus was saying, no, don't do that? Think about this. Okay. And these go back to questions you have to ask yourself. There's going to be people who say, no, I'm not willing to do any of this. But then there are the, those who are go, I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z. Um, do you have to register? It's fairly self-explanatory there. Um, is it regulated? The historical churches typically are not regulated other than the church itself. At a home church, you're still along that same line. The underground church, I put it under the regulation area because in an underground church, you're dealing with a lot of aspects from safety, security, taking care of people, and that's going to have ramifications, second, third order effects. Next. Okay, state affiliation. China, it's yes. And the one reason I put affiliation on there is the historical church, no, there's no state affiliation. With the home, no, but the horizon may start to go toward that way. The state is saying you're still allowed to maintain a church if you follow these concepts. And 10 or 15 years ago, we probably would have been shocked at even saying that. But China, who actually controls a lot of the commerce around the world, has a heavy influence in this kind of stuff. They have a state-mandated church that the Catholic Church has agreed to their precepts. So uh, this morning, uh, uh, the Congress put together a package for discussion to see it, to, to develop a bill from this. Basically, is what they're going to do. And and there are congressmen and women, and even Republican congressmen and women, that are saying that we need a. 
I forget the American term, but basically the Chinese term for it is a, um, a uh, social grade, a social score. social score. And Congress just this morning started talking about that in America we probably need some kind of social score or something to see if you, ha- to see if you have the ability to work and if churches or organizations have the ability to meet. They're talking about churches. Um, organizations have the ability to meet and stuff because if they're if they're so- socially damaging our country, then we don't want them to operate. So in China, those state-run churches also have um, Wi-Fi <clears throat> into the state intel organization, as well as cameras into the state intelligence organization. Um, it, it we're in a technology era that this stuff is easily transferred once Congress decides that that's the law, there's a lot of second, third order effects that, that can occur. Will they? I have no idea. But can they? Yes. And in, and in China, the above ground church is called the three self church. And, and the, self, the three selves are um, self, self-resourced, uh, self-developed, self-controlled, something like that. But everything that they do, all those churches... And they're, they're good-sized churches, and they have buildings, and they do all this stuff, and they, they read the Bible, and they preach from the Bible. But nothing can disagree with the state. And so if you say that Jesus is God over everything, you can't preach that in those churches. You can say Jesus is your helper, Jesus is your counselor, but you can't say Jesus is Lord. You can't say he's King of kings and Lord of lords, things like that. And there's layers and layers. The underground church, of course, they preach the gospel. And so when we look at, uh, that goes into speech repercussions. Right now, pastor can say what he feels the church needs to hear without repercussions, other than social repercussions. When we talk about a home church, there's less oversight, so the repercussions are still no. In an underground church, anything can, if, the law states that churches cannot meet, and you have an underground church. Now you are breaking the law. Okay, so what are the repercussions from that? It depends on how the laws are written, um, depends on who is in office. But if you look at the China, the Iran, the Russian, even um, Canada has repercussions that are getting worse and worse for the, for the people. So let's look at fines. Um, the the church in Canada right now, if you say anything derogatory about the LGBT community, you can actually serve time in jail as a pastor right now in Canada. And there are pastors. I, I met one. He spoke down at uh, Furret Church about a year and a half ago. I met him. It was the guy on the news all the time that got arrested as soon as he landed back in Canada. And um, I met him and talked to him a little bit about this. And he knew when he got back he was going to be arrested. But... He said, that's okay. Let them arrest me. And, and he was just saying how the government is trying to control. I mean, he was just preaching the gospel. But when he would get to scripture that would talk about something the government didn't like, like uh, um, homosexuality is a sin and stuff like that, they would fine him for it. And then after a while, they actually arrested him and put him in jail for it. And right now, a counselor in the, in, in the country of Canada, a counselor, if they encourage a, a child, young child, teenager, whatever, if they encourage them to, um, to, to go push back against uh, anything to do with LGBT or whatever. So a kid comes and says, I, I, you know, 
my friend said I'm gay, and I don't know if I am or not. If a counselor says, um, you're not gay, let's talk about this, they can go to jail for that in Canada right now. And um, we have four or five states in the United States, California being one of them, and it's already uh, coming up for Colorado this next year to make it uh, you will be fined if you're a counselor, school counselor, regular counselor, whatever, in the state of Colorado if you, um, if you counsel a student against anything to do with uh, homosexuality. That is going to come up in the, in, the, uh, in the house this year. It's already been discussed. Yes, ma'am. You've got to say it in the microphone so people at home can hear also in Canada, um, parents can actually lose custody of their children as well. Yeah. Ian's brother lost custody of his daughter because he refused to call her a him. Yeah, if you don't go by these, these perverted rules, you, you'll be, you can be put in jail for this. You can lose your kids and get fined. You're, it's, this, is, guys, this is no longer... Weird conspiracy stuff. I saw a great meme the last couple days. It said, does anybody else have any new uh, conspiracy theories? Because all mine came true. I'm like, that's where we are. So the second third order of effects, if you look, actually look at the budgets that Congress passes, uh, some of the line items where money is going to other countries, if you actually dug deep into those line items, you'll see a lot of these programs that are being instituted in other countries, money from the United States is going to support those concepts. So, conspiracy theory. The, these are a lot of, a lot of the, the Muslim countries, the United Nations with the money of America is promoting LGBT concepts in these countries and they say we'll send you, you know, $50 billion if you'll, if you'll teach these things in your schools and all this stuff. And a lot of the Muslim countries are saying, no, we won't teach that. And they say, well, you won't get your money. The normal aid that America would give to this country, you will not get it. Now, you, you're not hearing that on the news, but you can Google that. You can see many, a lot of statistics about that. But they will tell them, you will not get your foreign aid from America unless you can prove to us you are teaching the LGBT ideology. So skipping down to what, what is the leadership structure? And in the historical church, we have a head pastor at the home. Um, sometimes it's a traveling pastor. Sometimes you'll see the head of the household or anyone within that small group stepping up. At an underground church, it depends who can make it that day. I hate to say it that way. Um, but everybody takes a turn, and they share the responsibility. When we talk about service leaders, it's almost the same thing as a leadership structure. Um, but when you're getting down to the underground, I've seen a trend in the underground churches across the spectrum where there are service leaders who help on the security side, on making sure that the state is not attending. If it is, things are changed very quickly to stay within the statutes of the law. Um, so there's networks that actually get created the, the farther you get away from the standard church facility. Next, please. Thank you. So supplies. Um, I think that there was a sheet handed out with you that showed some supplies that some churches are going to um, as a preparation. And 
it is simply a list to think about. It is something for everybody to come up with on their own, um, whether it works for them or does not work for them. But it's a starting point. It's a conversation piece. So, so, we, so let's look at that real quick. You got this list. Now, this is something that uh, Rob Cottle got us. Um, this, these are, correct me if I'm, t t tell us about it, Rob. Can you give him the mic there, Rick? Tell us about where this came from and what this is. This was a list of items that another church actually has put together to be able to create uh, segments across the city so that if there's a shutdown capability for the churches not to be able to meet, that they would be able to already have things set up in different homes that are already in regional areas so they can go ahead and meet in those locations. So, and you can see, I, you know, I... I read through this list a couple times, and immediately there were things that popped in my head. I think you would need this. I think you would need this kind of thing. This is, this is more of um, this is like a, a starting point, a suggestion kind of thing. But I, I think it's kind of a cool way to approach this. And the fact that a church has already thought through this and, and people in the church have like this box at home that's got this, that's, that's good thinking. Somebody's thinking ahead. You say, well, what if this never happens? Well, then you got this box sitting in your basement. Who cares? Right? If, we're, if the church never gets shut down, who cares? But I, I personally, I've showed this, I've showed this, a video of this in our church here, but I personally saw in China when a group of people in the underground church were given um, Bibles, and they, there was like five Bibles for 50 people, and they handed these Bibles to these people, and they would just hug it and kiss it and pray and cry and thank God for these Bibles. And they hand to the next person. They would hug it and cry and thank God for this Bible. And then what they do is they tear chapters out. Um, at, like, not, not chapters, books. Like they tear the book of Matthew out. And they tear the book of John out. And they pass this around. And thousands of people will read that one section of Matthew out of the, out of the Bible. Because you think about this list. If you could give this list to one church in China, one, what that would mean, Aiden? Um, this will probably sound horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think the church being shut down by the government is one of the best things that could happen to us. People have become so complacent. Look how empty this place is. Look. Look around you. First of all, nothing unholy in everything that's been talked about, from Assyria to Babylon Alexander the Great, King Herod, they can't stand up against God's people. They never have been able to, and they never will. Right. The, the, the tribulation is going to happen whether we like it or not, or the prophets are liars. It's going to happen right. according to God's word. The church shutting down, and I pray it doesn't. I pray it doesn't. I don't want it to. But look what's happening in China. They worship and they adore Christ. They have a passion for Christ. Right that we don't have here. And I think the church being shut down is a good slap in the face to the Christians who maybe they'll be there and maybe they won't. It depends on how they're feeling. It depends if they can get the kids ready. It, blah, 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 blah. I don't know, Scott. I don't want to see it happen, but it's a good kick in the stomach to Christians. You know, I, I've actually been processing this a lot um, since, I, I mean, I've thought about this for years, but 
now that I have grandkids, I've been processing this quite differently, and I didn't realize I was doing this. Because my grandkids are growing up in a church context today that is, that is so void of God and void of the true power of God and the understanding. I'm not saying their church. I'm saying the church. Where, and, and this is why I really think one of the best things that happened from COVID there was actually a few good things that came out of this, and one of them is, this sounds negative too, but I'm, I'm all with you, Aiden, is a lot of churches couldn't make it and just never reopened. You say, well, that's bad? Yes, but I don't think it's as bad as we think it is. Many pastors just got out of the ministry. It was too difficult. And I'm like, oh, good, good. If COVID was all it took to shut you down, shut your church down, and run you out of the ministry, you're not going to make it in the next 10 years. You're just not. And so, good. One, one of the biggest things I've also seen with things like COVID, but then when you combine things like the whole abortion thing and all this stuff, where churches won't take a stand and people are getting tired of this. Guys, very rarely does a week go by that I do not have two conversations already this week about churches in town that will not stand up against abortion, will not stand up against the whole LGBT stuff, and they're just embracing it into their church systems. They're just embracing it into their children's churches and saying, how do we know? This is a, this is a statement from a pastor of a mega church in this town that said, how do we know God didn't really make them that way? Well, here's what's happening. We're going to have an above-ground church in America, and it's going, the messages and the sermons of those churches will be approved by the state. They will be. Many of them already are. But there's going to be a real church, and it may be home church. It may actually get driven underground at some particular level. Right now, we're just seeing a separation across the United States, and I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's it's. Good, it's a purifying mentality. Because when do we actually stand up for Jesus? That's my thing, is when do we actually stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ and stop playing games? Souls are at stake. Our children are at stake. Our, our, our future is at stake. And so I don't think this is a bad thing. And, and I, I've been processing this with my grandkids. I don't want, just like Aiden said, I don't want all this stuff to happen. I don't want the negative to happen and all this kind of stuff. But if, but, if the, but if everything starts getting shut down right now in our country, 15, 20 years from now when my grandkids are becoming adults, the Christianity that they are going to be experiencing is probably going to have very deep roots compared to the Christianity we've been dealing with over the last 20, 30 years. It's going to have way deeper roots. And it's going to be profound. And it's going to be amazingly solid. But we're, we're struggling right now in the church in America. We're struggling. So I, I actually agree with I don't want it to happen. I don't want the stuff to happen. But I don't think it's going to be bad. It'll, it'll, it'll purify us. Yes, ma'am. Oh, she needs the microphone. 
Um, I had a question about your perspective on some of the stuff with, so there's been a bunch of fact-checking with COVID stuff, and I've recently seen some online fact-checking with climate stuff. Or do you think that the next shutdown might be climate-related instead of disease-related? Just wanted to get your perspective on that. Um, I think the next, okay, this is pure speculation, okay? I think the next shutdown is going to be a little bit of a combination between um, energy and uh, agriculture. I think there's going to be a combination there. And so th this has to do with climate, the way they look at it. So right now, this big article came out yesterday about um, California is going through all these rolling blackouts, which they've done forever. But now they're, they're begging people, please don't charge your electric cars. <laughs> Last week, California said... By 2035, we will only have electric cars. But don't charge them. Right? So this whole energy, um, where's energy come from, electricity, all this stuff, and then agriculture, where are we getting our food, uh, that kind of stuff. I think the biggest brunt of it is going to be agriculture. I think it's going to be food, food supplies. Uh, we're, we're just seeing too much of a ch change an attack across the country and all this kind of stuff. Where I, I think I mentioned this maybe two months ago about um, 160 something um, food storage places and grain storage places, stuff like that, have, have blown up, burnt to the ground, been destroyed in the last six months. You, you, can, you can Google this easily, find that, this stuff out. That's more than about 30 years combined normally. And, and the reason people are writing articles about this is because they say this is sabotage. And the same time, Bill Gates has now opened a processing plant to develop um, uh, genetically developed and modified fake meat. Whatever Bill Gates invests in, what are the other side of that is just going to magically start falling apart. It's weird. The guy's, the guy's got superpowers. It's, and this was also one of the biggest deals that they discussed at the World Economic Forum this last year is how um, Schwab and Soros and all this stuff are saying the way that we, can, that we control the planet. Now, they're saying control it so it will be better. I don't agree with that. They're controlling it to be devious. Is we need to make sure that we are in control of all food supplies so that we can regulate them and help them be the best for everybody. That's not what they mean. Okay. So... So let's stop right here, and we're going to finish this uh, next week because we've got a few other things that we're going to show you and talk to you about next week. And, and one thing uh, Russell brought to us that I think you're going to like too. But, but here's, here's the reason we're talking about some of this stuff, guys. If you say, well, this list, you know, we're never going to need this. Well, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to push this on us. I'm just saying maybe think about some things. When we knew that COVID was going down and that the grocery stores are going to be ransacked and all this stuff, the first thing people do is they go buy up a bunch of toilet paper and groceries, right? Um, Lynn and I got some extra bags of beans and rice and got some extra water. I mean, we're not preppers, but we just, you know, if it's going to be difficult to get to the store and the water gets messed up, just plan ahead a little bit. You know, 20, 30 gallons of water can go a long way when you're, when you, when you don't have anything coming out of the tap. And so, Little things like that, process some things, think about it. Um, if you think to yourself, well, you know, I think I, think I could be part of a small group. And, and the, by the way, the answer is every one of us in here should be thinking this. I can lead a small group of people 
as a church. I could do that. You can do that. That's you. You can. You say, well, I don't know. The moment you start saying, I've had so many people over the years say to me, well, I don't have the education that you do. Okay, what does that matter? Well, I'm not as smart as you. You'll never be as smart as me. So take those things off the table. All right? Um, guys, you, you, God has called you to lead people and shepherd people. Think about it. If things stopped today in our country and came down as like a coup mentality or something like that, and, and, and churches were immediately told, you're not going to meet until we tell you, which, by the way, would be never, but what will you do the next day? What would you do that next Sunday morning? Would you, would you pick up the phone and you call a couple of people that have been sitting right next to you in church, or you call your neighbors across the road and say, hey, come over to the house. We're going to have church at the house. And then you get out the Bible and you start talking to them about Jesus. You can do it. It's, it's, it becomes easier if you plan ahead just a little bit. Like come to the journey and then take my notebook home with you and you've got a few years worth of sermons just out of that book. Right? Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about um, the... the the uh, file that was up, the Excel file, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff. So here's what I would think is, is you think about it this week, and next Wednesday when we get back together, let's, let's, uh, we're going to do a little bit more discussing. You're going to come up with some ideas or how or whatever as we get closer to the end, um, type of service, evangelize, accountability, some of that kind of stuff. You're going to come up with some of that stuff with us, and we're going to, we're going to come up with a list of things uh, to process. Okay? And the other thing that I gave you, hand it out to you, that will help you kind of think about some of this stuff. Just process it. All right? So how do you think we should pray about this? Yes, that's a great place to start. The peace of God, which goes beyond your natural understanding, will do what? Guard your heart, which is the way you feel, and your mind, the way you think, in Christ Jesus. That's, that's great. Start there. God, give me peace about this. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be worried. But also, I think, God, give me some intentionality. Give me, some, give me something, God. Just give me something, and I'll walk with it the direction you want. Without even knowing for sure what that is, God, I'll do that. And then I think the next step is, Lord, begin to develop me. And let me, let me say it differently. Let me be open for you developing me for what you've got planned for me. By starting a life group now. And that becomes your, your life group later or your church group later. Start ministering to people now, having their neighbors over for coffee now, some of that kind of stuff, right? Okay. Lord, we thank you for you, your, your grace, your amazingness. Lord, we trust that you are in charge of everything. And um, God, you're in charge of, of America. You're in charge of the future. Lord, you also told us and you warned us that things are going to get bad. They're going to get real bad. God, help us specifically in America and in the American church and right here at Church of Briargate. Lord, help us not to be um, naive. Help us not to be just willfully um, ignorant and pretending things aren't happening. God, help us to at least think and stir our hearts for as much or as little as you think. Lord, not what I think, not what James thinks, but God, what you think and how you want us to, to prepare and believe and 
process, God, that's what we want. And uh, so, Lord, help us to, to, to process this, this and to, to really, really put ourselves in, in the driver's seat here to say, I can do this. What do you want me to do, God? And then you speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, something also for James, if you want, he will uh, visit with you individually, like um, your family or, or whatever, and he will help you come up with, like if you say, well, I want to do a little bit more than what's going on, James can help you with that. He can help you with um, assessing your place in life, your, your um, I don't want to add too much, but, but your safety, security, some of those kind of things. He will help you with this stuff. Um, just come talk to him, and, and then you can figure that out between you and him. Okay? Use him as much as you would like to with this. All right. We will see you Sunday morning.